Red leather, yellow leather. Red <laughs> leather, yellow leather. I like mine. Tiffany terrifically tops Tommy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, hi. I didn't see you there. This is the cast files. Oh, did you start? I did. When? <laughs> <laughs> right before my vocal warm-ups. Oh, no. <laughs> well, welcome or welcome back. We are on episode two, Deep Throat. But first, David, I would like to know your favorite thing about this episode. My favorite thing about this episode is definitely Seth Green, because who doesn't love Seth Green? I know I love Seth Green and his skinny little legs. (laughs) And his grunge (laughs) look and his long hair. Yes. Oh, my goodness. He's just adorable. Definitely love every scene that he's in. Uh, My favorite thing about this episode is that we visit men's favorite place to gossip. <laughs> you you heard bad rumors. Your info is bad on this. <laughs> no, and I'm sure listeners back me up. Men's favorite place to gossip is in the men's toilet, usually right by the urinals, standing yeah. next to each other. Yes, men email us <laughs> and tell us what you think that what you think about that. Look, this is what TV is telling me and it happens once again. It does. <laughs> it's unfortunate. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get into the episode, but I do want to say one last thing. On a scale of zero to flying rods, <laughs> how likely do you think it is that the United States government has alien technology that they are testing? I'm going <laughs> to give that a flying rod. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Greetings all listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. This is The Cast Files. I'm a nerd who's never seen The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. How novel. A podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X-Files spoiler-free. Today, we're watching Season 1, Episode 2, Deep Throat. It originally aired September 17th, 1993 to a viewership of 11.1 million people. That's 900,000 fewer than the premiere. Oh no. (laughs) Uh, Still a ton of people. This episode was written by Chris Carter and directed by Daniel Sackheim. This episode starts off at near Ellen's Air Force Base in southwest Idaho. A unit of armed military police prepare to storm a house. One of the building's owners, a Mrs. Anita Budahas, arrives at the scene and is told by the commanding officer that her husband has violated security protocol and stolen an armed military vehicle but first she gets to the cordoned off area and she goes i live there and they're like yeah let her go through it was very (laughs) easy to get past the barricade (laughs) she might as well just walked up and said hey i want to see what's going on (laughs) that would have been great Hey, what's going on, guys? (laughs) After the unit break into the house, Mrs. Budahas demands that she be allowed to speak to her husband, who is found curled up in a corner of the bedroom, almost naked, shivering, and covered with a skin rash. Now, the MPs that break into the place, I have to note a couple of excellent mustaches in that group. Oh, I was looking at their clothing. Ah, uh, that Budahas guy definitely had a really bad sunburn. 
it was serious. It was like, instead of putting your hand on the stove, he put his whole body on it. <laughs> uh, another thing I'd like to note, because that's the end of the cold open. Yes. Uh, we've got a longer intro for this episode. We have like a whole full theme song. Yes. And some credits. Mm-hmm. And some fuzzy pictures of UFOs. <laughs> yes. That's UFO protocol. UFO protocol. has to be fuzzy. <laughs> Last episode we had, what was it, abduction protocol? Yes. <laughs> Alien abduction protocol. And now we have UFO protocol. And then when we come back, a couple things that immediately jump out to me is there's a guy at the bar. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. The next scene is Act 1. We're in Washington, D.C. Four months later in a bar. Now you can go. A couple of things that jump out immediately is there's a guy at the bar that I recognize. So that guy's somebody. He's a, he's somebody. He's somebody to you. He's, a, he's an actor that I've seen in other things. <laughs> so he's going to be somebody. I was too distracted by when Mulder arrived. He looked like he was going to kiss Scully. Of course he did. <laughs> he, he always looks like he's going to give soft kisses to everybody. <laughs> His face got so close to her face and she didn't respond. She, oh, hey, how you go? How's, how's it going? She's used to it by now. <laughs> I she, guess it's been four months. She knows that that's just how he, how he looks. <laughs> he, he can't focus on your face unless he's two inches away from it. <laughs> With very pouty lips. <laughs> What else did you notice? One of the names in the credits was Seth Green. Oh, yes. You spoiled it. I was going to wait. Everybody's favorite high school boyfriend. Yes, he's definitely my favorite high school boyfriend. He's the best. Yeah. And I'm excited to see him because it's 1993. So he's like fresh off of the Rally's Checkers commercials where he's the cha-ching guy. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He's so tiny with his skinny little legs in this episode. (laughs) He's adorable. He's so cute. Okay, so anything else at the bar scene? That's all I got for the bar scene. All right, so here's what happens. Mulder asks if he can order her a drink right after he looks like he's going to kiss her. So I don't know that he realizes this is a work thing. Scully declines because it's only 2 p.m. And as the agents start to search for a seat, they're observed by one of several men seated at the bar. Did you catch that? It was not the same guy that you're pointing out. No, I missed that then. At a table, Mulder briefs Scully on the disappearance of Colonel... Robert Budahas, the man found by the military police earlier, so the skin rash guy. And he is, since 1963, the sixth pilot to have gone missing from Ellen's Air Force Base, where he'd been stationed. Now, Scully uh, mentions that uh, people going missing from this aircraft base are uh, rumored to be flying over Russian airspace. Oh, yeah. From Idaho? From Idaho. What is the range on these crafts? Long. They're long range aircraft. This is incredibly long range aircrafts. She also says how often do people go missing from military bases? And we won't go into how sad and how often that happens, but I did have to look it up. And last year in 2020 at Fort Hood, eight soldiers died or were found dead in three months. So if six pilots have gone missing in Since the 60s. 30 years, that seems... They're doing pretty good. Like, we should go back to that. <laughs> Whatever their protocols that, are. <laughs> that, that number of missing persons cases. <laughs> okay, so after they are talking at the table, uh, Mulder goes into the bar's washroom, and that's where he sees the man. Somebody. I do want to note that while he's in the men's washroom, this is men's favorite place to chat. (laughs) It absolutely is not. Yes, it is. Every... 
movie we've watched recently, every TV show we've watched recently, the men are just chatting it up either at the urinals or at the sinks. And so I know, because Hollywood has told me, that men love to have conversations in the bathroom. <laughs> that, is, that is patently false. Eyes forward, no talking. That isn't what happens. They make eye contact. They hold eye contact. Well, not while he's peeing. I didn't say that. Okay, fair. That, that was you. You extrapolated that. <laughs> fair. So in the washroom, Mulder encounters the man who was watching him and Scully earlier from the bar. The man reluctantly introduces himself as a potential government informer and warns Mulder to stay away from the case, stating that the military will not tolerate an FBI investigation. Dude is in the bathroom telling riddles. (laughs) (laughs) He is just in there. Ah, UFOs, I will tell thee if you can answer my questions three. Wow. And men always, this is why men say women go to the bathroom and talk all the time because that's literally what they do in the bathroom. It's projection. Men are projecting. Well, there, yeah, well, because I have uh, neglected to mention that there's a bathroom troll. Oh. In every men's bathroom and they ask you riddles. (laughs) Otherwise you can't use the bathroom. (laughs) I was about to ask what happens if you fail. They send you to the back of the line and you have to start over again. (laughs) Yeah. It's, that's why men's restroom lines are so long? Uh, no. That one fell apart. That's why men's restroom lines are so short, because men know that they can't use the restroom, so they, they can't answer the riddles, so they go out back and pee on the building instead. <laughs> there is a lot of peeing on the backs of buildings. <laughs> Avoid the, the bathroom troll. Yes. <laughs> I get it now. I thought it was just because you guys like to pee on things. <laughs> Okay, so they t- they talk. Uh, the secret man tells a riddle and then leaves. Mulder tries to follow the man out of the washroom. And did you catch this? The guy leaves fast. And so Mulder's trying to follow him. And in the doorway, Mulder is stopped by this man who looks like he is, his bladder is about to explode. <laughs> and he actually makes some sound like, Uh, I I did not catch that on either viewing. Yeah, we watched this twice and both times I looked at that man. I made eye contact with his character on the screen and both times he went, "Ah." (laughs) I may watch it again just to see that. I was pro- I guess that's when I'm writing notes. It is worth watching. This is the this is the part of the episode I suggest going to watch. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't watch anything else, look for that guy. That guy was just an extra. He was er, he wasn't even an extra. He was just a bar patron. He just needed to use the washroom. He didn't even know that they were filming in there. He was so upset because when Mulder and the mysterious guy had locked the door to do the riddles, he was outside and then he had to wait for so long that he was dreading having to face the bathroom riddle troll now that he'd been waiting for so long and so that's why he was making that sound and then when he saw david duchovny he was like oh this bathroom troll is too handsome It all makes sense. Actually, if you had seen it, the extras were told not to touch David Duchovny. I can tell by this man's body language, his hands are way up here. Oh, wow. (laughs) Duchovny just leaves the bathroom like, you know, you're passing somebody and this guy's hands are way up here. Oh, wow. Uh... (laughs) I'm definitely going to have to go back and watch that. This is the most interesting scene in the whole episode. (laughs) 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 This is going to be an hour-long podcast about the bathroom scene. (laughs) 
Okay, so then Mulder leaves. We never see Bathroom Guy again. I hope he got the riddles right. R.I.P. Bathroom Guy. <laughs> Scully sees Mulder come out of the bathroom and asks if he's okay. You know, as you do when, when your partner comes out of the bathroom in the riddle <laughs> troll. <laughs> And he looks around, puzzled, but says that he's fine. Nope, nobody sees the other guy. Although he was rushing out of the bathroom, and I feel Scully would have looked up and seen him. Maybe. It was pretty crowded. It it was really crowded. So that's the end of that scene. Our next scene takes place in the FBI headquarters. Scully's researching Ellen's Air Force Base in the library and finds that it is known for attracting UFO buffs. Yeah. She's somehow surprised by this. (laughs) So she calls Mulder, and then she's, she's completely complaining about her discoveries, about how it's UFOs, this is why he wants to go out there, blah, blah, blah. But as she's talking, his phone starts making some weird sounds. He realizes that his phone is probably bugged. So he goes and looks out the window and there is just a dude in a white van (laughs) staring at his window. Like neither of them are smooth about this. Mulder or the dude in the van. I thought about this and the dude in the van isn't trying to hide it. Right. They're definitely... And like Mulder is not trying to hide the fact that he knows it. It's so... That did seem like it could have been taken a little bit better. Yeah, he was just like, uh, Scully, I don't want to talk on this phone. I just realized it's been tapped. Just not, he was so unsmooth. So now we know that the bathroom troll has tapped his phone and is following him to offer him free candy in a white van. Next scene, we're out in southwest Idaho at Marriott Field. That's where Mulder and Scully land and they go to see Mrs. Budahas, who is still at her house and where we started this whole episode. So Mrs. Budahas answers her door. Right before she answers the door, they're on the front porch and aircraft fly over. It sounds like we're here in Florida and it sounds like whenever there's an air show about to take place and fighter jets are flying over. They're very fast. You can hear how fast they are (laughs) because they're high pitched. By the time you hear them, they're already gone. It's not because we don't have the budget for airplanes. (laughs) You can't show them. So then Mrs. Budahas answers the door and the agents question her. She's severely shaken by the loss of her husband because apparently what had happened is after that event four months ago, he disappeared. Before that, he had started acting bizarrely and a couple of the examples she gives is he was sprinkling fish food flakes all over his food at a dinner party. I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, I would opt for salt probably. Uh, He also was yelling at the kids for no reason and would then shake violently like he was having a seizure. I'm not sure how much the uh, yelling at the kids was different from his normal day-to-day activities, but I feel like the fish food flakes was probably a change. Probably a little different. A departure from the norm. While she's talking about her husband and his disappearance, she's crying. And she says, he was always a patriot first. He took loyalty to his country as an oath, and now they treat us like strangers. I just want my husband back. What did you expect, lady? I'm always blown away. As a person who grew up in a military family, of Of course. Maybe because he was so high level, though, because he was a special pilot. I'd expect to be treated well while things were going well. But if something went wrong, yeah, I'd expect them to disavow all knowledge. I bet that they were used to being treated well because he was special projects, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's she's really concerned because, you know, back in that time, she was a housewife. Wives, especially military wives, didn't work very often. And she says, how will I support my family? I'm not going to lie. Growing up with a military family is hard. I don't, I don't know 
how often my dad was home. And I know that that was probably one of the hardest things on my mom. So watching that episode and watching how terrified she was about how to support her family with him just gone and not being able to find out any answers, which means that she wouldn't be able to ultimately declare him dead until maybe five years later. What's she gonna do for five years? How is she going to support her two children? They're gonna have to leave that house. It's huge. I don't know what the real estate's like in Idaho, but these are some serious concerns. So no wonder she's calling the military and saying, where is he? Give, give me something. Cause they're not gonna help support her. She also mentions that there's a neighbor, Verla McLennan, whose husband went kind of crazy. And so they, the next shot is over at Mrs. McLennan's house. The agents see that her husband is picking hairs from from his own head and using them as a fishing lure. He's making his own fishing lures, which is definitely an arts and crafts for certain people and can be very interesting and intricate. Uh, using his own hair. His hair was too short. It really was too short. He's not, he's not gonna get a good lure out of that. No, I would say maybe real hair lures is, is the way to go, but maybe not your real hair when it's that short. Grow it out a little, you know, commit. Mrs. McClure talks to the agents. She has this crazy smile plastered on her face. She is talking talking about how um, how she's highly respectful and thankful to the Air Force and she makes a snide comment to Mrs. Budahas about bringing the FBI agents there. She also basically chirps, you know, they do volunteer for their jobs. It felt very Twilight Zone. Yeah. The only thing I wrote, up, wrote down about this whole scene was fly fishing wife is fishy. Wow. I'm very clever. Wow. So you're doing the jokes instead of Mulder this time? I'm on it. At least it wasn't super disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. McLennan is not happy with Mrs. Budahas or the FBI agents. They leave and outside Mrs. Budahas's home there, she gives them the list of phone numbers that she's tried calling repeatedly, getting nowhere. And Scully suggests that Mrs. McLennan's husband is suffering from stereotypy. Uh, she pronounced it different. That's she how did. I pronounced it. I know. <laughs> and and now I'm looking at it and seeing why. Stereopathy? Stereopathy? Something like that. Because I could I just said stereotypy because I was being a... Stereo... She's saying he's suffering from something and that the pilots may be washouts from the Aurora Project. Oh, and Mulder didn't like that. He did not. Mulder refuted that idea based on the caliber of the pilots, particularly Colonel Budahas. Mulder says these test pilots aren't zoo animals. They aren't supposed to break under pressure. They're supposed to thrive under it. Which sounds like a lot of Insta channels now. <laughs> yeah, I wrote thrive under pressure and then I tried to do a stick figure thumbs down that just looks like a weird toothbrush. It does. It looks like a tiny little stubbly toothbrush. That's gonna hurt your gums. <laughs> <laughs> so Mulder got super patriotic apparently all of a sudden and then never gets back there again. <laughs> Well, after the end of this episode, I can see why. And also, aren't test pilots basically like animals that they're testing? They're testing. They're test pilots. Yeah, like shooting monkeys into space? Yeah. Shooting Apes. test pilots across the sky? All the way to Russia? <laughs> All the way to Russia from Idaho. It was, a, it was a bizarre stance for Mulder to take. Back at their hotel, the agents confer about the attempts to speak to the member of the Air Force. Scully mentions that she has managed to arrange an appointment with Colonel Kissel. Even though Mulder is initially doubtful of the arrangement, he starts to search for more information about the Colonel. Then they go to the go to Colonel Kissel's house and they find him outside. He's getting into his car. He doesn't like that. And he goes inside his house and 
then slams the door in their face. When Mulder and Scully are leaving, a Paul Mosinger shows up and says that he's a journalist. He remarks about the abundance of UFO nuts in the area and is seemingly skeptical of the UFO phenomenon. He also acknowledges the noise of another aircraft passing overhead at a high speed. And this is where that comment earlier comes from. By the time you hear them, they're already gone. I kept waiting for that to be referring to something later, but it didn't come back. I feel like that was a missed opportunity. I think they just uh, didn't have the budget to have planes. I think you might be right. Colonel Kissel doesn't want to talk to the FBI agents and the FBI agents don't want to talk to the journalist. And so nobody wants to talk to anybody and everybody is irritated about wanting to be spoken to. <laughs> um, Mulder then asks, what is his name? Paul Mosinger, where he can go talk to these UFO nuts, which is where we go to my favorite location of this whole episode. We go to the Flying Saucer Diner. I miss diners. Diners are great. Diners are so good. You get the best coffee and the food is amazing. Let's do a quick plug for Mamas in Tampa. <laughs> best sausage gravy I've ever had in my life. And speaking of Air Force bases, <laughs> we've got a base right here, which is about a mile away from Mamas. Yeah. They, um, Mulder and Scully go inside and they meet a woman who identifies a series of photos that are hung again behind the counter. Mulder is really excited about them, of course, and asks her who took the pictures and she said various and sundry. It was a good line. It I was. It. And then she's very excited about this one that she took. It looks like a triangle. It's a paper football. She took a picture of a paper football. She says that it's something else. And Mulder decides that he's going to buy a print for $20. In 1993 money. Right, which is how much is that? Like a million? Four trillion dollars. <laughs> yeah inflation guys and when he says that he's to just add it to the tab scully leans over who does and doesn't look like she's going to kiss Mulder, by the way <laughs> and says sucker and she says she's gonna wait outside so she goes outside to look at the map while he's inside he buys the picture and chats up the, the waitress at the counter. He comes back outside and Scully says Ellen's Air Force Base is not on the map. On her USGS map, which got me all excited. Why? Because one of my favorite David Duchovny vehicles, he works for the USGS. Oh. Evolution. Him and Orlando Jones and Sean William Scott. Fantastic movie. You're right. <laughs> is it fantastic? It's so good. It's one of my favorites. It is pretty fun. It's definitely fun. And he also hands her a napkin that has a handwritten map and says, sucker, because he knew that if you were nice to the people who really believe this stuff, that they'll give you information. It's really the oldest trick in the book. It seems uh, she's new to the FBI. Maybe she'll learn. She's been there for two years. Was she in the field? I have no idea what she was doing before. Yeah. I don't think they say. They just, she... they go, medical school, you've been here for two years. <laughs> <laughs> So now they know where they're going. Next, they go to a, what is it? A back road, a utility entrance outside of Ellen's Air Force Base. It's obvious that they're not supposed to be there. There are signs warning them away. There's... It's not a paved road. It's just a dirt road. And there's chain link fences with barbed wire on the top. Mulder stops the car outside the chain link fence and wanders around the, the embankment looking around. And Scully realizes that they're here to look for UFOs, which obviously we knew way at the beginning. She sounds so surprised. She does. She sounds... Why is she so... She's always surprised when Mulder's like, UFOs. <laughs> 
Maybe she'll get used to it. And I hope so. Stop being so surprised and disappointed. So they stay there for a long time. They arrive around 6.04. I don't know what time of year this is, so I don't know how early it gets dark. But the next scene is Scully asleep in the car in the passenger seat. Mulder's doing whatever outside of the car. And then you hear a low rumble and then a really loud sound that breaks the back window. And Scully jumps and screams and that wakes her up. And Mulder hurries over to the car door and says, come on, we've got to look at this thing. No, he says, wake up. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Like what? Right. Why on earth do you think she's not? You think she's still asleep. That's right. I forgot he does say wake up after she screamed and she's jumped and screamed and the back window's busted. Genius. So that's how we leave Act 1. Now we go into Act 2. It says it's only 9.13 p.m. Um, All of these time stamps are on the screen. And they are, Mulder and Scully are watching two lights dancing around in the sky. They're standing there theorizing about what they are. The the lights are still dancing around while they're saying, I don't know, um, what, searchlights or what was something else she said? She said lasers reflected off the clouds. Lasers. Which, if they weren't so fat and bulbous, I would have thought, oh, that's a good idea. That would make sense. It, it makes sense if you're just throwing out theories. Uh, and then the two lights rise out of the, out of sight, maybe above the cloud cover, and sound like they crash, which was weird. Ah, oh, see, I didn't pick up crash. I heard just like zoom away. Oh, no, it sounds like they collide. Oh. It's weird. So at that point, they're confused and also still theorizing what's going on, but haven't really gone through a whole list yet. When they see another light, this time it's just a single light coming closer to them. Quickly, they realize it's not another one of the UFOs. It's a UFO as in unidentified flying object, not necessarily alien. So just differentiating for anybody who's wondering if I'm jumping ahead. But then they realize that it's a helicopter. They also see two teenagers and the two teenagers are running away from the helicopter toward Mulder and Scully because that's where the fence is and there's a hole in the fence and they come through the fence. The two teens see Scully and Mulder out there and run from them. So now they're running from helicopters and FBI agents. And Mulder pulls his freaking gun. Yes. Why are you pulling your gun on these children? (laughs) So the kids stop and put their hands in the air and then Mulder tells them to hurry up and hide under a tree so then all four of them are hiding under a tree from the helicopter and the looks on Seth Green and the teenage girl's face I don't know what her name is they are so delighted (laughs) while staring up into the cloud or the tree cover and Scully and Mulder are Jillian Anderson and David Duchovny are looking like adults and the two (laughs) kids are looking like it's Christmas morning I was getting ready to say this is the first time we get a look at Seth Green and he is fresh off of shooting Airborne with Shane McDermott and Jack Black because he looks fully like Wiley from that movie and he acts like him too he has not changed his character whatsoever (laughs) I don't know what movie you're referencing I made you watch it once it's the rock and rollerblade movie oh where the surfer guy has to move to Cleveland (laughs) oh Cleveland came up last episode Cincinnati sorry Cincinnati he he has to move to Cincinnati where where, for some reason they're really into hockey in Cincinnati in this movie okay I love the movie though because they're playing hockey and they're rollerblading two of the things that I loved in the 90s (laughs) 
All right. At that point, the helicopter flies away and we flash forward. I didn't realize the different timestamps here. So the beginning of Act 2 started at 9.13 p.m. And the next time that we see Scully, Mulder, and the two teenagers who are Emil and Zoe, it's 5.02. So apparently they've hung out for this long. I wrote that down too. <laughs> they've just been hanging out all night, not discussing the UFOs. <laughs> How long have they been hanging out with these kids? They were talking about Wayne's World. <laughs> so they're at the roadside diner. It doesn't look like it's the flying saucer. It looks like a different one. Yeah, it does. Which would be weird. Maybe they just they were in a booth or yeah. something. It didn't look like the same one from the outside. Uh, the Emil and Zoe are eating and recounting their experiences. Emil mentions an area called Yellow Base that's supposed to be a massive hangar surrounded by landmines. Unbeknownst to the four, outside there's a car that pulls up while they're still talking and the driver is using some obscure government lingo into his walkie-talkie or I guess it would be a walkie-talkie, not a cell phone at that point. Somebody's following them. He goes back inside. Emil is talking about the aircraft. Mulder's asking him questions. They're joking about what it looked like and how they've been, they haven't ever been chased out of there before, but they've been going out there for an entire year. The two of them go out and hang out, listen to music. Watch and the air show. Watch the air show. Yep. They also make a passing <clears throat> reference to one time they were out there and bombs were being dropped. I missed that entirely. Oh, yeah. And then Emil and Zoe are just laughing about, about it and <laughs> saying it was, what did he say? Oh, 90s slang. I can't remember. Tubular. <clears throat> he didn't say it was Radical. tubular. It was something like that. Yeah. And they just laugh about it. Man, I love being a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. That's what they say. It seemed out of place, but now that you mention it. <laughs> and then Mulder pulls out the picture and asks Emil, specifically Emil, if if the aircraft looked like that. And Emil says, no, man, they didn't look anything. They didn't look like that. They look. They didn't look kind of like that. They looked exactly like that. It was. It's a scene. Mulder and Scully drop off Emil and Zoe at one of their houses, and Mulder's having a great time just using the same slang as as the two and just being a goofball. But Scully expresses doubts about pretty much everything that they were saying, mainly because they were stoned. Specifically, she says, "If I were that stoned," and Mulder is delighted by the idea of her being stoned. Yes. <laughs> and I'm delighted by him being delighted <laughs> by the idea of her being stoned. It was a whole moment. After that, then Mulder tries to convince her that there is a connection between the crafts at Ellen Air Force Base and a UFO that reportedly crashed at Roswell. The most fake thing that's ever been faked in all of Fakington. Except for the one in Texas, the hot air balloon UFO in Texas. That one is the most fake thing of all fake things. Well, Roswell, New Mexico does exist. That's true. So does that town in Texas that faked the other UFO in the 1800s. <laughs> um, apparently that UFO in Roswell crashed in 1947. Ellen's Air Force Base, or Air Base, is supposedly one of six sites where parts of the wreckage were shipped. And Mulder believes the military is flying planes built out of UFO technology. So he doesn't believe that these currently are UFOs being piloted by aliens. He believes that these are military aircraft built from UFO parts being flown by these pilots that are then losing their minds. Will Smith and Independence Day. So tell me again how they're not test animals. Got nothing for you. All right, just checking. Then 
they go back to their motel. Scully goes to Mulder's room and says that the relays news that Colonel Budahas has returned home. Now they have to go back out and see what's going on. When they arrive at the Budahas's house, Anita opens the door in tears. She just has probably been a wreck for a while. Mulder looks at her smolderingly <laughs> and asks, Mrs. Budahas, are you okay? Oh. And I would just like to ask what you would do if David Duchovny showed up at your door when you were upset and said, David, are you okay? Oh, I would melt into his arms. <laughs> Obviously. Unfortunately, Mrs. Budahas is too upset to realize her missed opportunity and insists that the man inside, who looks identical to her husband, is not actually him. And to that I say, huh? Mm -hmm. Because he's building a model? My husband would never build a model. Yeah. He's just sitting there building a model. He's not like acting like a lunatic. He's not, he doesn't look any different. What I noticed is the kids didn't seem concerned about him. Yeah, they were just doing their homework or whatever at the kitchen table. They were either doing crafts or homework. They were both sitting at the table and they seemed like, this is, everything's fine. Dad's doing his thing over there like he always does. And we're doing our thing over here like we always do. Yeah, it's super weird to me. I just feel like children would be terrified if dad came home not being dad. Yeah. So... That was interesting. So he's sitting there. That that begins Act 3. Mr. Budahas is sitting there working on his model aircraft. Mulder manages to slightly calm Mrs. Budahas. He must have held her gently and rubbed her hair. <laughs> gently and warmly. <laughs> Between the door and the, the other room. And Mulder questions the man who she claims looks identical to Colonel Budahas, but is not him. She is adamant that it is not him. And she won't stand near him. She stays in the doorway. Mulder and Scully come into the room and he's sitting down working on his craft. Mrs. Budahas confirms that almost each and every answer that Mulder, questions Mulder asks is correct, but just as Mr. Budahas, or Colonel Budahas sorry, starts to get frustrated with the interrogation, which has lasted all of what, three questions? <laughs> Mulder asks him a question regarding an Emmelman while maintaining eight G's. And Colonel Budahas struggles to answer. The struggle scares him and he realizes that he doesn't know if that's possible. When he realizes he doesn't know about the Emmelman and the eight G's, he steps toward Mrs. Budahas, but she backs away quickly, sobbing. I am so mad at her in this scene. He is clearly traumatized, needs a hug. He has been eternally sunshined and... <laughs> is just now realizing it. He is devastated and scared and he needed his wife and she's been acting like a weirdo this entire time. She's obviously been upset for four months and he doesn't seem to be bothered by it. So I think that maybe their marriage isn't as strong as they would like us to think. I don't know how they're, uh, what they're trying to say their marriage is. So I don't know, but he needed her. She wasn't there for him. Nope. <laughs> she was not. You know, nobody's coming out of this very well. <laughs> no. His kids are going to be messed up too. Sorry, kids. Mulder leaves and Scully rushes after him, demanding his input to this whole scenario that has just happened. And Mulder admits that he thinks Colonel Budahas' brain has been rewired because, you know, that's a thing that happens. Eternally sunshine. Yes. Using some kind of selective brain drain. Scully argues that you can't do that. <laughs> you just, it's not a reasonable explanation. No. Just, Scully says no. Just says no. <laughs> and Mulder sarcastically says that the technology powering the aircraft that the agents apparently saw the previous night doesn't exist either. Ooh. Which sounds like an argument a seven-year-old would make <laughs> to his nine-year-old sister. 
after that, they get into the car and they're driving away. This is when several large men confront Mulder and Scully. The uh, They're driving down the highway. A bunch of cars, two cars cut them off. A bunch of men step out. This One of the men knocks on Mulder's window. He's driving. And Mulder says, you think if we ignore him, maybe he'll go away? And he tries to give him the T-Rex treatment. <laughs> I laughed both times I saw that <laughs> scene. <laughs> It's pretty good. It was the delivery, the timing. I appreciated that one. They're hitting better with their jokes this episode than they were in the pilot. Yeah. Obviously that doesn't work. The men in black pull them out of their cars and confiscate all the evidence and assault Mulder when Mulder starts asking questions. They grab their guns and pull the clips out or the magazines out. And uh, Scully has one bullet in her magazine. Oh, really? I want every time I see that, I'm like, why? (laughs) Why do you only have one bullet in your magazine? You know why you only carry a gun with one bullet. No, that got dark. It did. (laughs) (laughs) All right, after that, or during that, the agents are warned to leave or risk the consequences of breaching national security. Okay, now I do need to point this out. This is before 9-11, so breaching national security was not an everyday thing that was happening. So that was probably something shocking. Ah, yes. I like the phrase, he uses the phrase intense indiscretion when he's threatening him. How do you... Intensely. Indiscreetly. Into something? <laughs> yes. I don't know. It's, he's just like, I'm going to be real obvious about this. <laughs> I enjoyed it. No, it's a sentence, I guess. Um, then they're back at the hotel. In the hotel, Scully ends a phone conversation with a contact named Gail, finding that her attempt to track down one of the cars has been fruitless. So when they were pulled over, Scully got the license plate numbers and called in to see where they came from. Apparently, they are fake. When Gail says that one was fake, Scully says, don't worry about looking up the other one. I'm sure it was fake too. She goes outside, or no, Mulder comes over and suggests that the helicopter that chased Emil and Zoe out of the base was really after Mulder and Scully, and that the military not only knew the agents were coming, but also returned Colonel Budahas as a decoy, which I think is pretty smart. Yeah, that's, that's a good plan. Because if they return Colonel Budahas, who is why Mulder and Scully are supposedly out there. Then they've got no reason to be out there. And that's what Scully says. Scully says, there's no reason for us to be here. We need to go back. Our investigation is closed. They get into an argument because obviously that's not why Mulder came out there to the UFO base. They're arguing about the consequences of keeping such a secret. Mulder seems very naive when he says, when does the human cost become too high? Oh, well. We will never know. No, we still haven't found that out. In 2021, we still don't know when the human cost of the military playing with their toys will be too high. And in this discussion and argument, he mentions, or she mentions that this would be a national scandal. And he says, no, you're not thinking big enough. This would be the confirmation of extraterrestrial life. And I'm like, in episode two? We can't have that in episode two. That's a season finale thing. Mid-season finale, at least. No, just wait. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But also remember when that was a national scandal was not an everyday thing? Yeah. When a national scandal was actually a scandal? Yes, instead of just, you know, the headline. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Everyone and their shoulder pads just didn't know what was coming. (laughs) We were all so naive. (laughs) Mulder pretends to give up and says he's going to shower and pack and leaves her room and Scully has this cute little look on her face like oh I'm glad that he's seeing (laughs) he's seeing reason and then she realizes that he's actually gotten into their car and is driving away (laughs) (laughs) with his window down and somehow doesn't go 
Sucker. He should have gone sucker. It would have been perfect. Mulder goes to meet Emil and Zoe, who lead him lead him to the hole in the fence back at Ellen's airbase. He's surprised that the teens don't follow him inside. They say that they've only ever gone at night. They're not comfortable going during the day. And so they wait for him while he goes into the perimeter. Mulder jokes about, or insinuates, I'm not sure if it's a joke or an insinuation, that he's going to go to the yellow base. But Zoe and Emil are very concerned about that and say, don't go there. It's about 10 miles out don't go there they tell him where they normally hang out about 45 minutes away and that's the only place that they've been comfortable going they also realize that as soon as Mulder gets out of earshot oh i have an impression for this oh okay oh did we uh tell him about the landmines and junk like you're in idaho why are you a cincinnati surfer <laughs> So they realize that they haven't reminded him about the landmines. They did bring it up at the diner, but who knows? Uh, it never comes up again, in case you guys are wondering. <laughs> then cut to nighttime. Mulder's out in the weeds. He sees an, a triangular aircraft after he walks out onto the runway. So now Mulder is not hiding at all. Right. He's just out there on the runway in open view of everything. And I'm like, dude, you're going to get spotted or landed on. Yes. He stands there. Triangular aircraft speeds toward him, instantly slowing to hover above him. And then shines a dazzling white light down on him before darting away. And I'm like, oh, I guess we are doing confirmation in episode two. <laughs> uh, Mulder then notices that two military vehicles are pulling onto the runway and speeding toward him. Yeah, I told you you were going to get caught. He runs directly down the runway. <laughs> like he's going to take off. Yes. Not back into the weeds. Not, not zigzagging through the weeds where they would have to at least split up. No, just straight ahead. And he's captured by the army personnel or the military personnel who strap him onto a gurney. They all struggle the whole time, but they, you know, overpower him, get him onto the gurney, and put him into the truck. That is the end of Act 3. Mulder is captured. Finally, we come back from a commercial break, and we're inside the military vehicle with Mulder. He is looking rough. He's been fighting this whole time. They inject him with something. We assume that he loses consciousness. The next scene cuts to Scully. She's trying to make a phone call to Washington, D.C. A long-distance phone call. Yes, Apparently that required a lot more, a lot more work in the 90s. Yes, uh, for any of our lung, longer, anybody with tuberculosis out there. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> for any of our younger listeners, long distance is when you had to call a long way away and you couldn't just use your cell phone. It cost extra money. I think they understand what long distance means. That long distance means a long, long away. It means long. far away. Oh, I can't, I couldn't even get that out. But yes, I like when she, so she can't get, she can't make the phone call in her room her phone's dead and then she goes she leaves her gun in the room which i don't believe a federal agent would do just leaving it out on the table and not closing her door yeah these guys not her specifically she leaves her gun places all the time it's super weird and it is i guess when you only have one bullet in it it's <laughs> not as big a deal she's like i probably won't need this while i go to the <laughs> office so she goes to the office to make a credit card call. That's what she called it. A did, she, did she say credit card call? Yes. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. The guy at the office, his phone doesn't work either. And he says, huh, they say it's because of the military interference, but they say that about a, a lot of things. <laughs> and then she goes back to her room and that journalist is walking out of her room, which one is rude. Don't Fair. just go into a woman's room. Or anybody's. Mostly a woman though. I say especially a woman, but don't go into anybody's room. Like a, that. a tiny woman a tiny tiny woman <laughs> <laughs> a tiny scully 
leave Scully alone, you big jerk. <laughs> well, he doesn't. What he does is he, she realizes that he is not who he says he is when she hears wa- a walkie-talkie in his car. She locks herself in his car. He's still pretending that he's the journalist for a few moments. He's trying to get in the car. He's talking very calmly. He's saying that there's nothing to be worried about. What are you doing? And she finds a gun and a badge in his glove compartment. While she's reading the badge, he busts the passenger window open with a fire hydrant. And now I have to retract my she's always leaving her gun around because he just left his gun in the glove box. That's true. And he still doesn't leave her alone. He reaches in the car. When he busts the window open, she drops the gun. She's She is holding it in her left hand, so I'm going to assume that's her non-dominant hand. But it seemed like a weak grasp. Yeah. when you're being attacked and then added nothing to the story because then she just grabs it yeah i didn't i didn't like that didn't i didn't like that sense. cut but actually i guess it was necessary because then he reaches he leans into the car on top of her and they're fighting while she's in the car and he's halfway in the car and then she sticks her thumb in his eye the old thumb in the eye and she couldn't have done that if she had still been holding the gun in her left hand so maybe that was why he does get out of the car and holds his eye while she grabs the gun gets out of the car and points his own gun at him which is great while he's while she's holding him i almost said hostage (laughs) while she's holding him at gunpoint zoe and emil show up on their little scooter thing and one it's 6 30 (laughs) a.m i where were these children They were watching the air show? (laughs) They arrive. She is still holding Paul at gunpoint. And they say that they had taken Mulder to Ellen's airbase and waited for him. Which would again be another one of those moments where it started at like 6 p.m. And now it's 6 a.m. There's just large amounts of time. The aliens are stealing time. (laughs) <laughs> they were in the first episode. They say where Scully, where Mulder was, and Scully demands that Mosinger find out where Mulder is now, threatening to go to the newspapers, which I thought was a pretty solid threat. Could be. I think the gun to the back of the head is a pretty good threat, too, though. I did like that. It was a tiny gun, too, though. <laughs> tiny bullet ripping through your brain and still ripping through your brain. It still got him led like a dog on a leash. It was fine. This is when they cut to a medical facility. There's a light being shown into Mulder's eye and then we see a driblet of silver solution being put into his eye. Oh, he's getting eternally sunshine. I love how current that reference is <laughs> that you just keep using. Uh, it's apt. I haven't seen that movie in 15 years. I've actually never seen it. I went through a phase when I watched all those kinds of movies. Garden State. Manic Pixie Dream Girl movies. Yeah. Ah. And then I realized how much I hated Manic Pixie Dream Girls <laughs> because, oh, that's not, none of these women get to be people <laughs> hmm, they're just imprints of whatever the man needs in the moment uh, it's real boring whatever there was a moment flash to scully and mosinger arriving at the air force base scully's in the back seat with the gun pulled at mosinger's head while they're waiting mosinger is being snarky and a jerk about it even though he's obviously got a gun at his head the military people bring up Mulder. he gets out of this little golf cart thing i'm sure it wasn't a golf cart but in my head it's <laughs> replaced with a little golf cart and he looks all disheveled and like he hasn't had a good time he looks very confused he looks like a little boy actually oh yeah that's a really good description you're exactly right while he's standing there looking like a confused little boy mosinger is ordered out of 
of the car, and when he walks towards Mulder, Mulder staggers away from the base. Mosinger tells the agents that everything they have seen in the area is equal to the protection that the military gives it, and that the agents are the ones who have acted inappropriately. And I have to tell you, I'm not, I don't entirely disagree with him. They did act inappropriately, but also stop kidnapping people. I mean, yeah. <laughs> don't don't make test pilots disappear is a good a good starting off point. But also don't sneak on a top secret military bases and expect everything's gonna be okay. Well it was okay for Emil and Zoe. That's because they're grunge kids. They know how to uh, handle themselves. They didn't know how to handle themselves. <laughs> they were tough as nails. <laughs> they weren't at all. Not even a little bit. They were just having the best time. I am jealous of how good of a time they were having, though. Yes. You know what? I hope they have great stories. Have fun, kids. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a PSA. This is a... You know what? Oh, but don't go out there when they're dropping bombs, hun. <laughs> I... <sighs> worried about you <laughs> Seth Green if you're listening I'm worried about you <laughs> <laughs> they drive away from the base Scully asks Mulder if he's okay but he looks he still looks really confused he is confused and he's a he looks a bit scared and he asks her how he got there because he's been eternally sunshine I told you I knew it Yep. They go to the Budahas' residence, but Mrs. Budahas, noticeably discomforted, claims that her husband is fine. He's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine, fine, fine. <laughs> and quickly thanks the agents for their concern before shutting the door in their faces. In the background, you can hear Mr. Budahas being super aggressive. What is it now? Yeah. Mulder's convinced that the military have visited Mrs. Budahas and threatened her to keep silent, which seems like duh. Yeah. <laughs> Scully is eager to be done with the place and irritably tells him that they know nothing more than when they arrived. And that's what she's planning to write in her field report. And she's not wrong either. Right? <laughs> So now we're almost to the end. We are back in uh, FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. It is one week later. Scully is typing up her field report where she recounts that Colonel Budahas has returned home. He was highly bewildered and refuses to... She does refuse to confirm Mulder's theory that the colonel may have suffered stress-related trauma as a result of flying aircraft using recovered UFO technology. She does corroborate his account of having seen two UFOs in the sky over Ellen's airbase. And she officially closes the case. When she does, she picks up the UFO photograph that Mulder fought at the flying saucer and stares at it. Yeah, and she decides that's a paper football. <laughs> While she's doing this, apparently, Mulder is out on a racetrack, a jogging track, and just doing laps in the weirdest outfit that we've ever seen. <laughs> that's when Mulder meets the um, the bathroom troll from the Someone. Beginning. The somebody. The somebody's back. Yes. We never actually are told who this man is or what his name is. Mm -mm. He's which, just somebody. Which is why the episode's called Deep Throat. He is the, um, he was the man in the bar, of course. The man warns that the agent's lives may be in danger because they've seen things they were not meant to see. Yeah, but I don't remember them. <laughs> right. Mulder's looks like a lost little boy again that something he knows something bad's happened to him and he wants the adult in the room to tell him what's going on and the adult in the room gives him some more riddles even though they aren't in the bathroom so it's not fair <laughs> no <laughs> 
he's so cryptic and he's just he's just asking him more riddles. Mulder starts to talk about what he saw, but he can't really remember. And the mysterious man interrupts with a reminder that he can provide information to Mulder, but only so long as doing so in it is in his own best interest. And so Mulder asks what his best interest is, and the secret man says the pursuit of truth. Again, that's a riddle. It's what? That doesn't mean anything. Mulder says he did see something, but it has been taken away from him, erased. He neither confirms nor denies whether Mulder saw a military UFO. The man reminds Mulder through a rhetorical question that the reason those who believe in existence of alien life on Earth are not dissuaded by all the evidence to the contrary, like Mulder himself, is that the evidence to the contrary is not entirely dissuasive. They act like this is the most deep thing that anyone has ever said (laughs) it is so trash (laughs) it's just everyone gets dreamy eyes and kind of looks into the middle distance while they're thinking about this the oh let's see who wrote this one Chris Carter again? Yeah. Chris Carter was so proud of himself when he wrote that. Uh, the guy starts to walk away, but momentarily turns back when Mulder asks if aliens are indeed already on Earth. And the man responds, they have been on the planet for an extremely long time. So there you go. Confirmation in episode two. Yep. Confirmation in episode two. So this show is not uh, at all like non-committal about whether or not aliens are actually real. Nope. They're doing their world building in a manner that that secret man also believes in yeah. aliens. So how do you feel about that? I have to rewire my brain to, for what to expect from this show. Okay. So you thought it was going to be more of a suspense situation where they were going to, are they or aren't they? Right. When now they're actually. Oh yeah, there are aliens. They've been around forever. Yeah, I thought you were sort of taking this ride with Scully, mm. trying to figure out what the truth was. That's what I thought. It was going to be. Well, we still don't know what the truth is. Just like Scully said, we know as much as we did at the beginning. True. Except military definitely has a UFO, a triangle spaceship that does a lot of weird, seemingly physically impossible stuff. And Emil and Zoe are really living it up in that small town. Good for them. I'm very, I'm very happy for them. They got the short end of the stick being worn there and then they... They took that stick and well... And then they made it into a walking stick and went out (laughs) into a military base through a hole in a fence. Yep. (laughs) Good job, them. All right, so now the moment that all of our listeners have been waiting for. (laughs) It's episode two, so surely we have like at least 17,000 people listening. (laughs) How many people watched the second episode of X-Files? 11.1 million. So I feel like 17,000 is a realistic... (laughs) Realistic, realistic goal here. Okay, don't look at the numbers. Okay, I, I don't know what analytics means. <laughs> okay, I'm the numbers person. You're the comments answerer. Okay. <laughs> so, what is your solution to this episode? What are you doing? Okay, so I gave up my solution earlier. Mm-hmm. If I'm already in this town and I'm already in this situation, my solution is to stay in the field. It's obviously worked for Emil and Zoe. Right. They've been able to see this light show or the air show for a full year without being chased off. So all you have to do is not go onto the airstrip and you get to see everything and survive. But he wanted to go, you know, he wanted to see more. So I took my solution. Mm. Similar to yours, but I took it from after being seen on the airstrip. Okay. I turn, instead of running down the runway, just in plain view of everybody, you know, I take a hard right into the field and just step on a landmine. (laughs) (laughs) So my solution is don't get caught and your solution is blow up. Blow up. I... (laughs) 
<laughs> is don't get caught. <laughs> no, exactly. No, no good is going to come out of being caught by these guys. Just I love how we both straight from the landmine. Don't get caught, but I, I took it <laughs> from the front end, and you took it from the back end. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Well, don't get caught by the military police. (laughs) Got it. So, so who are you shipping? So, I had to think about this, and I've decided I'm shipping Mrs. Budahas Mm -hmm. and the motel guy. The motel guy? (laughs) Yes. Uh, The clerk? Yes. Because he seemed nice? He seemed nice. He seemed nicer than Mr. Budahas. Yes. And Mrs. Budahas needs a nice, solid man who's going to just be around and consistent after all of this. Mm-hmm. I think she could really use that within her life. Also not need her emotionally because she's not going to be there for him. No, she isn't. But he doesn't seem like he's going to need a whole lot. He's like, just going to be like, I'm here. Yeah, he seems like the kind of guy who just wants to come home. And she's the housewife who makes sure dinner's ready when he comes home. And he's the husband who comes home for dinner. All like, right. that's it. <laughs> that's And it's just the same thing every day and everybody's fine because it's just their routine. But also because Mrs. Budahas now doesn't trust the military and the motel clerk doesn't trust the military. You kind of hinted that way, yeah. And so they're never actually going to talk about anything beyond just the surface, but they can at least know that they're in each other's court. Even if they're not going to tell their deepest, darkest feelings about the military and all of the secrets, they're just, it's going to be like a wink. Oh, it's the military. Wink. <laughs> so that's a good one. I shipping like it. them. It took me until like four minutes ago to figure out who I was gonna ship in this. I am going with Emil. Oh, okay. And Scully. Ooh, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> there's curveball. There's no chemistry there. Ah, uh, not yet. But she needs to loosen up. Like uh, Mulder was like, yeah, I'd like to see you stoned. You should hang out with Emil. And he could use, you know, an older woman to, you know, teach him some things. Oh, gross. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. I I had a rough time with this one. Mine was better. I win. Yours was way better. (laughs) We aren't even doing prizes or who wins, but I win that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll defer to you on that one. All right, so we're two episodes down. Yep. How are you feeling? Feeling good? Feeling mediocre? Well, I just won, so I feel great. That's true. That's true. <laughs> to make you feel even better. Okay. Lasting two episodes, we have now lasted as many episodes as Videos After Dark. It's like a more adult-themed America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> it, it aired in tw- March of 2019. Isn't that just Pornhub now? (laughs) It was Pornhub in 2019. (laughs) And we have also lasted, and this one hurts my heart, we have lasted as many episodes as The Exticles. Oh. Which was a... (laughs) No, I don't like it. You don't like the name? No. Uh, It was a spinoff of the Adult Swim cartoon Frisky Dingo that we watch. Yes, I remember that. And it's amazing. The Exticles were like the henchmen. Don't say that. Stop saying that word. Exticles. Stop it. (laughs) <laughs> We're not supposed to be saying dirty words on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to get a mature rating for me saying exticles Stop repeatedly. Stop saying the word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I never saw those two episodes, but it only got two episodes. And I feel like if it was as nearly as funny as Frisky Dingo. It couldn't have been. It only got two episodes. Yeah, that's fair. Nobody wanted to read that name in print anywhere. <laughs> Gross. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. 
follow us on Twitter at castfiles. Email us at thecastfiles at gmail.com. That's the with two E's. Music by Hal6. Logo by at UkaArt. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's at D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You have a wonderful day.